Good morning. We are continuing to to really bear down with our brothers and sisters in the Christian and Missionary Alliance in continuing at 40 days of prayer and focus on just really focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ as we begin this year. The theme for today in the CMA devotional was caring uh, for others. Um, but the, the passage that they shared actually um, is a really deep passage about even a deeper thing than just caring for the emotional needs of people. And so uh, I wanted to share with you this passage. It's from, it's from Matthew chapter 25. It, uh, it's Jesus' words. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from one another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the King will say to those at the right hand, Come, you are that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom and that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty, and gave you something to drink, and when it was, when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing, and when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison and visited you? And the king will say to them, Truly I say, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry or thirsty, or strange, a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I, I, I know that, you know, this does, on, on some level, it does, you know, commend us to care for the needy, but this is a deep passage uh, that that is assigned to us for this day and so it's in many ways there's some other things that that are there other than just caring for the needy there's definitely the the continued idea that I've been sharing all through January of of everything centers around our union with Christ and and Jesus connects himself in such a way and unites himself in such a way that the Apostle Paul began to understand in his own testimony said you know Jesus said to him why are you persecuting me and Saul who became Paul was actually persecuting Stephen killing him persecuting the church trying to go and destroy and kill them in Damascus 
And so Jesus unites himself in such a way that he binds his own life, his resources, and everything to those that are his. But in this passage, it really shows that apart from that union with Christ and living the Christ life and not the independent life, there is a destination that Jesus speaks of that is, that is you know, really devastating. He's talking about eternal punishment. He's talking about hell. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, and I've been doing some reading and a study back in the early 2000s and said that 64% of Americans believe they're going to heaven. Only 1% or less than 1% even believe that they're going to hell or that they might go to hell. And here in this passage, you begin to see, I mean, not just that it's good to do good, but that there is something much more significant at stake in our lives rather than more significant than just whether we've done good or charity or these other things. Not that those aren't important. But again, the heart relationship to God and the union with Christ is is everything and your motivate even your motivation for doing good is everything. Well, why is it so important that we who are believers who are united with Christ that we understand this the dire circumstances and situation of the world? Well, because Jesus taught about hell more than all the other biblical authors put together. Here in this passage, he says, he speaks of eternal fire and punishment as a final abode for angels and human beings who have rejected God. In Matthew 5, he talks about the fire of hell. The word that Jesus uses for hell in in the passage in Matthew is the word Gehenna. This was the valley outside of Jerusalem where there were piles and piles of garbage and the fires burned continually. It was also the place where corpses of those who did not have family members to bury them, the corpses would go on this pile. And Jesus had this graphic description. It's a description that once you hear it, I heard it once and I'll never forget it. He says that hell is the place where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. This is Jesus' description to the corpses on that garbage heap because their flesh was being consumed by maggots. When there was no more flesh, then the maggots would die. But Jesus is saying that the spiritual decomposition of hell never ends because the maggots never die. The worm never dies. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of love and the author of grace. And he's saying it's a crucial truth that we understand that there is an eternal destiny where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. This was a real place that Jesus is speaking of. This is why... This is why everything in your life, everything matters. Not just doing a little bit of good. I remember uh, working with a guy who used to put in his calendar, I'm going to do acts of compassion. And he would put it in his calendar. 
so that he would schedule acts of compassion. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I understand that it's probably a good thing. At least he was thinking about it. But in some ways, I don't think he understood the idea of Christ being his life and of the gospel being his life. And he was just trying to be a good person, even though he was a minister and a pastor. See, there's a crucial truth for Jesus that that everything that we're doing and everything that we're involved in is life and death. I mean, one of the reasons that I love to be a pastor and I love having my life focused on preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God and ministering to people is because I, I really believe that my, my work, my ministry, is a work of life and death. Now, part of that is because I really believe, like Jesus, that hell is a real place. And that it's a place that people will experience and that we need to make sure that this is part of our understanding of the Word of God. Now, why was it so important to Jesus? Well, at least one reason. Commentators, theologians, they all say it was important to Jesus to show us how infinitely, utterly dependent on God we are for everything. All of the theologians who write commentaries and write books on, on hell and eternal punishment, they, they, they make it clear that the biblical language for hell is symbolic. In other words, how can a physical fire affect a spiritual being? And Jonathan Edwards, who is the great American theologian, he pointed out that the biblical language for hell is a symbolic language, but here is the point. He says, when metaphors are used in the scripture about spiritual things, they fall short of the literal truth. In other words, to say that the scriptural language of hellfire is not wholly literal is not a comfort at all. As a matter of fact, the reality of what's being symbolized in fire it's, the reality is far worse than the imagery. So, what is it that we actually experience in terms of hell? Well, the Bible is really clear. It's a loss of the very presence of God. It's darkness, isolation. Fire is, a, is an agony of being separated from God. Away from His face, away from His favor. And human beings were made to live and connect to the very manifest presence of God. And to not do so is to endlessly fall apart. Jesus himself in his teaching, he said that the ultimate condemnation in this passage we read today, the ultimate condemnation from the mouth of God is depart from me. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. To simply be away from the presence of God, to be away from God in a relational presence is the worst thing that can happen to any human being. We were made to live, to walk, to connect with God's immediate presence, with His face. And here it is, when you depart from God, then, then <laughs> when you depart from Him, you're departing into an existence that excludes the very face of God, which means that all the life, all the joy, all the love, all the strength, all the meaning which you've been able to enjoy 
now is taken away. Everything that was looked for, everything that was longed for, is actually found in the face of God. Now, in a positive sense, this is this is a very positive sense, is, is that ache that's inside all of our hearts, that longing that is within us, cannot be met by anything in this world. We have only glimpses, we have only taste of the fulfillment that is ours. But the scripture is really clear that when you see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and you see the love in his eyes for you, you see his, his countenance towards you, you will realize that everything you ever were striving for, everything you were longing for, every ache that's deep within you is satisfied in his face. Because in his face, those who are united to Christ by faith will see the favor of the Father, the manifest presence of Christ, the fellowship that you've always longed for, the oneness and the pleasure that is only his to give you. But sin continues to remove that aspect. And when a person is given over completely and departs from the very face of God, like Jesus says, is the ultimate judgment, then the very power that sustained and supported you, even though you didn't know it, is now removed from you. Paul calls the everlasting fire and destruction of hell, he calls it the exclusion of, from the presence of the Lord. The word that's used, that Paul uses, or uh, that Jesus uses for, the, for, the, for the, the, the action of God, it says destroyed. You are destroyed as a human being. And the, the word, word doesn't mean to be annihilated out of existence, but it means to be totaled, like a car is totaled. So in other words, you are totaled as to become useless for its intended purpose. So here we have this idea of departing from God makes a human soul totaled. It does not cease to exist, but rather becomes completely incapable of what a human soul is made for. Reasoning, feeling, choosing, giving, or receiving love. Why? Well, because the human soul was built for worshiping and enjoying the true God. And all truly human life flows out of the worship of the true God. So even now, not in the afterlife yet, but now in this present life, humanity is experiencing, even passively experiencing, the kindly providences of God or the common grace of God and of course, they do not acknowledge that, nor do they worship the God who gives them the rain and the sun and the food and the shelter and all of these things. But that common grace taken away from us makes us incapable of wisdom or love or joy or goodness. See, the very mind that says there is no God is the mind that has been given to them by God but in the judgment of God, when God then excludes them from his presence, even that mind that was able to reason and able to think will lose its capacity. That's what the eternal punishment, the eternal separation from God will bring. See, why is, why is there so much teaching on Jesus' part about this danger of hell? Well, 
Because he's trying to explain to you the danger and the seriousness of what you live your life for. It's important today that the CMA, that we're praying and that we're seeking that we should be people who care for other people. But the sin behind the sin is not, not just that we don't care for other people. That's the symptom. The sin behind the sin is really living for yourself, living as an independent self. As a matter of fact, the whole of the Bible in the teaching of the New Testament is really saying that, that God, when He reveals His wrath towards us, it's not like he, He's an out-of-control, angry, raging God. No, the Bible says when God is revealing His wrath to those who reject Him, He gives them up to the sinful passions of their hearts. See, he's not going to send a lightning bolt down to strike you because you did something wrong. The very worst thing and the very most you know, troubling punishment is when God no longer contends with you and instead lets you do what your sinful heart wants to do. And the desire of the sinful heart is independence. We want to choose, Isaiah says, to go our own way. We don't just wander from the path. Jeremiah says, no one repents. Each pursues his own course like a, heart, like a horse charging into battle. See, we like Cain and all who have come from that line of Cain, we seek and want the, the most destructive thing, which is to do our own thing. To sin destroys our truest ability to choose, to love, to enjoy. There's a blindness to sin. So what is hell then? Well, the best theologians say this. Hell is God actively giving us up to what we have freely chosen, to go our own way, to be the master of our fate, the captain of our soul. See, J.I. Packer is one of my favorite theologians. He says, Scripture sees hell as self-chosen. Hell appears as God's gesture of respect for human choice. All receive, in the afterlife, all receive what they actively and actually choose, either to be with God forever, worshiping Him, or without God forever, worshiping themselves. So, you know, in so many ways, it is not so much God damning people to hell, it's people choosing hell. And their independent selves, having chosen like horses at full speed to go after their own sinful passions, God says, okay, I'll let you have what you want. Why is this so important? Well, it's so important that we understand the idea of hell because it's the only way that we really understand how much Jesus loves us and it's the only way that we really understand how important it is that you understand this message so that you can share it with others, but then also that you live out the gospel in such a way that you do. You care for others. That, that you live in a way where Christ in you is ministering to people around you. But without this idea of understanding what Christ has saved us from, we don't really understand the depth or the power or the wonder 
of his salvation. Hell helps us to understand how much Jesus loves you. How much he did for you. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, no physical, no physical destruction can be compared to the spiritual destruction of hell, of losing the presence of God. See, when Jesus was dying on the cross, when the darkness covered that, that, that area, when the darkness covered the earth, actually, and Jesus spent it's about six hours or so of agony on the cross. That was his experience of hell. In that period of darkness, the Father turned his face away from Jesus, rejecting him. The Father put on Jesus all of his righteous anger, all of his justice for your sin and mine. Jesus, though it was six hours in our time, was experiencing an eternity of hell in punishment because hell is not about time. He experienced the agony of being rejected, forsaken by the Father, of becoming our sin, becoming our sickness, becoming our death. He became our substitute in that moment and for that sense of eternity of hell that he experienced. But when that period was over Jesus said the debt is paid it is finished that's tetelestai in Greek the debt is paid and so there was no more spending time in hell Jesus's humiliation ended when he breathed his last for his exaltation was beginning as he was buried in the tomb of a rich man and then he would be exalted in uh in his obedience as he defeated death and he was risen from the dead on the third day and then ascended into heaven and exalted at the right hand of the Father. His humiliation was in those six hours of eternal hell that he experienced for you and me. Now, why is that so important? Well, because on the one hand, it's so important to realize that this is what Jesus was willing to do in order to have a relationship with you. But it's also important to realize this is what you receive. You receive his substitution so that your debt is paid. But because he did this and because he is risen from the dead, you also receive his righteousness so that you are considered in Christ as righteous as Christ. Now, Tim Keller tells this story, and I've had this happen in New York some myself. And he says that uh, he runs into people in New York all the time who say, well, I have a very personal relationship with God, and I've, I've had this happen as well. And they said, but I, I do not need or want Jesus as my Savior. And so he asked them this question, and you know, I, learning from him, I've asked them this question as well. But he says, does your God forgive you? And the person just very quickly says, yes, my God absolutely forgives me. And he asks this question, he says, how much did it cost your God to forgive you? And uh, the person says, well, it cost my God nothing to forgive me. He's just very forgiving. That's just his nature. He's very forgiving. And he looks at him and he said, then your forgiveness is worth what it cost. Nothing. Nothing. 
He said, but it costs my God everything to forgive me. Because he who knew no sin had to become sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. And not only did he take my sins away and pay for my sins, but he put to my account his righteousness so that not only am I forgiven, but I'm treated as if I am Christ. In other words, Jesus was willing to be treated in the way that I deserve so that I can be treated in the way that he deserves. Now, I think it's really important, the whole part where Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. All those things, they're so important. But none of those things will make you righteous. The only thing that makes you righteous is that understanding that when Jesus is in you, it's Jesus feeding the poor. It's Jesus clothing the naked. It's Jesus healing the sick. Because if you're still trying to earn your righteousness, then you're still doing righteousness from the same motive that you do your unrighteousness. But if you've come to that place and you realize everything I do is in Christ and everything Christ is doing is in me, then you realize that there is a union with Christ and so you start to have eyes for the poor like Jesus has. You have eyes for the sick like Jesus has. You have eyes for the, for the naked and the imprisoned like Jesus has. And it's not you trying to produce compassion, it's you receiving the compassion of Christ. One of the times that was most vivid for me, where this was more than just like a concept, more than just a theological idea, was my trip back in 1997 to Kali, Colombia. Kali was really in the throes of upheaval in those days. Many people were being assassinated. Uh, one pastor had been assassinated on, on, on the street, just four streets over from where I was staying. There were still markings on the ground where he had, been, he had been killed right outside of his church by the drug cartel. The drug cartel was coming down and things were happening all over the city. I remember wondering when I went there, am I going there to die because it was so dangerous? But I felt like the Lord said, go to Kali. And so I went with a team of about 26 pastors, 13 from South America, 13 from the U.S. We worked with 160 or 170 churches. And all over the city, we saw people coming to Christ left and right. The crisis of Kali in the 90s created a, a transformation like I'd never seen before. But I was preaching at this one church and afterwards I was praying with people. And the Lord told me something really interesting. He said, don't pray in English, pray in Spanish. And I, my Spanish was poor at the time. And I kept saying, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. But I began to pray. And as I began to pray in Spanish and listen in Spanish, I could hear everything they were saying. I could understand everything they were saying. I could say things I didn't really know that I knew how to say. I know it was a supernatural gifting. But what I began to feel was the compassion of the Lord for the pain of the people. And I asked them two questions. What do you want Jesus to do? And is there anything that you think is hindering him from doing it? And it was amazing that night. I prayed for about 300 people individually. It took six hours or so. 
And I felt so much the Lord as he healed people, as he delivered people, as he saved people, as he transformed their lives. And he filled them with the Holy Spirit. And all I was was a conduit of it. All I was was just, just an instrument, a vessel in his hands. He was doing the healing. He was doing the saving. He was doing all those things. I'm telling you, it's more than just trying to generate some concern or some compassion for people. It is seeing your life in Christ no longer an independent self, but a self united with Christ and then having Christ's heart and Christ's eyes. And then you will see Christ's power as you pray for, as you minister to people. He's the one, he wants to be the one who gives a cup of cold water through you or a, a shirt or a dress or a jacket or a place to live or food to eat. And when you are united to Christ in that way, then not only does the physical satisfy the person, but you're able to hear the deeper spiritual needs and to do that which will eternally transform and change their lives. May God bless you.